Welcome to Loop Me In, the podcast community for parents and carers on raising children with disabilities. Join presenters Dr. Lisa Interlegi and Christine Christopoulos and their guests in sharing experiences, information and support ideas to help children with disabilities flourish. Loop Me In is brought to you weekly on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher to name a few. You can learn more, connect to the Loop Me In community and listen to more episodes on our website, loop-me-in.com.au. Hello and welcome to Loop Me In. Today we have Rob Hale from DadAbility. Rob shares a podcast with dads and having a child with a disability and we couldn't wait to speak to him today. So listen in. Welcome, Rob. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. We were really excited to have you on because it's great to have a dad's perspective of raising a child with a disability. And you have your son, Leo, who you mentioned before. Yes, I do. Seven years yes, old. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. He's almost seven and he's ASD three. He's nonverbal. Uh, he has a moderate intellectual disability as well and ADHD. So he's got a bit of an alphabet going after his name. Yeah, that's right. We've had a similar sort of journey, although our kids are way older than yours, our two sons. Louis is on the spectrum and has a intellectual disability as well. So completely yeah, sure. understand how challenging your life is. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. It's, I don't know, how would I describe it? Yeah, it's it's been challenging, but at the same time, it's probably I'm a far better person in every way, four and a half almost five years into the immersion into disability. It, yeah, it's been quite interesting to see. I've probably grown more than I thought I would. But as you said, it's not without challenges. There's a few battle scars that are now make me tougher than I was. Yeah, there's lots of ups and lots of downs and everything in between. And I think as a dad, it's we go on a probably a I don't know, slightly, slightly different journey to maybe what the mums go on. And I'd say probably a slightly more isolated journey than what the mums go on. And that was what I was sharing with Chris the other day. It was interesting for me to see, I was struggling for so long to connect with other dads like me that would get it. And I just wanted someone who gets it, who get who gets this. My, I believed my friends couldn't because they don't understand. They have neurotypical kids. I believe my parents, my family, like no one really, you know, was going through it. So I, in my mind, I shut them off as people that just don't, they won't get it. They don't want to listen. If I say my challenges, they'll probably say something stupid in response and tell me to just, oh, it'll be okay. And what and I just thought, I don't need that. So I was desperate to try and find like-minded dads and I found it really 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 hard and it's still hard to this day it's not something that not many people feel comfortable talking about it and sharing it and discussing it and there's various reasons for that but even when my son got accepted into uh, St Lucy's which is a fantastic school and I thought oh this is going to be perfect amazing class full of dads to talk to and I was the only dad on the parents chat so I thought what is going on yeah, I just, I found it really quite hard to connect to dads. And I suppose that's kind of, that was why one of the major reasons for starting my podcast in the first place. But it's just, I think I want to do more to help the dads. And I've realized that since starting it and a few conversations later that I'm also talking to mums as much as I'm talking to dads, because sometimes the mums are listening to try and help 
dads and hubbies and partners try and understand better as well because they can see that they might be struggling and isolated and not talking to people about it. So it's an interesting path, I think, that the dads go on. A lot of pride that you have to just remove, a lot of armour you have to take off, a lot of vulnerability you have to have, and it's not comfortable for a lot of dads. And I certainly... I've found that and I would regard myself as someone who's comfortable talking about the emotions, but yet it still has a degree of uncomfortableness to it. And I've also noticed, particularly in the workplace, there's a lot of dads masking a normal, ordinary life, which is very interesting. And it almost feels like the more corporate, executive, senior, multinational company you're in, the more you mask it and just pretend it because it could be seen as a weakness in your job. So it's it's a fascinating, I suppose, insight into myself. I've had my own experience. I'm now thankfully in, uh, I think, an environment that fully understands and accepts it, but I wasn't. And I kind of, yeah, I've had to go through that as well. So it's, yeah, interesting, really interesting. Didn't that just how blokes relate to each other? I worked in um, construction and mining for many years and, and a very male-dominated work environment. And my experience was that particularly in managing performance, blokes will ignore poor performance until it really they get to breaking point and then they'll scream at whoever and then they'll go back to ignoring it and then they'll, it's like this kind of bipolar response to performance. They kind of get to breaking point before they have to actually let it out. And I wonder if it's the same in your experience with, you know, in this situation. Yeah, it's certain. I mean, it's actually my personal experience. They say what you're referring to, and I don't mind sharing it because it's helpful context. I think for all the listeners, you mentioned the word breaking point. I think, yes, to answer your question, simply it, it is, I think, quite a typical male response by default. And I think that comes for myself. It came from a life of growing up thinking that if you're hard on yourself, you can, you know, reach more, achieve more. It worked for me in a sporting world. It worked for me in a professional world. It worked throughout my studies. And so a degree of pride, but a degree of, well, hard work will solve it and I'll be better and I can achieve more. And you put that expectation on top of a dad and a dad of a disability, no less. And on the natural feelings you have as a, as a dad to want to be your best anyway for your kids. And it just creates a, you know, a pressure and an expectation that is far too unrealistic. And it does take you to a, well, it took me to a breaking point. And that was kind of my big kind of, I suppose, drop in the roller coaster ride because I literally was absorbing everything. And I felt I was learning what I could, applying what I could. And I was that dad. I wasn't on the sidelines. I was certainly invested and involved and active in my son's therapies and all that stuff. I was doing what I thought was the right thing and good. And in the way that I would normally handle everything else in my life. And I became like that, you know, I can't think of a better analogy. Maybe you guys have one, but like, the, you know, the frog in the boiling water, it was boiling around me and I didn't fully see it myself. And it was coming out through irritability, through quick temper, through no patience, through me personalizing every interaction if Leo wasn't having a good day or bad behavior, I made it about me to say, well, I'm doing something wrong and I'm not good enough. And I can't believe this is happening to me. And I started having, you know, resentment and victim mentality and just became this really bad, vicious cycle of a lot of rumination, 
a lot of overthinking it, a lot of talking about it and beating myself up and I just couldn't get out of that loop and it became quite, I didn't know what it was formally called. I found out from having to go to a mental health hospital that it was called adjustment disorder with depressed mood. I was, adjustment disorder was an interesting one. I'd never heard of it, but it's the, it was described to me by the psychiatrist as the everyday equivalent of PTSD. So PTSD is a traumatic event that creates that kind of a response and adjustment disorder is your inability to cope with the everyday stresses and trauma and you just can't rationalize it properly. And so I was strongly encouraged, I'd say is the right polite way to say it by my wife. And I don't mind sharing this. I have to be careful how I share it because I want to be very respectful to her because she did an amazing job. Without her, I don't know where I'd be. And she she had the courage, bless her, to actually confront me and tell me that in one of my many sobbing emotional spiral moments where I was completely unhelpful to the family and in many ways just a very negative energy and she said I said she said you need to get out of here to get help I said I don't know like that's not realistic in my head and I went straight to well you need me here I need to be part of this how are you going to do it on your own that's where my head went to and and even I knew I wasn't great and a big help but I thought I would still be you know, needed. And it was literally that, you know, she said, we will cope better if you are not here right now. And that was just, you know, I mean, that's all I needed to hear. That was so confronting and a massive reality check. And I just completely broke down, you know, breaking point. And for her to say that, I thought, wow, I know how hard it is to do this on your own. And I'm that much of a an issue right now in the family unit. And she's like, yeah, like even our eldest son, has seen it and doesn't want to be around you and your energy. And it was just, she's like, you unfortunately just come in and it's like a tornado hit and it creates this feeling in the family. So yeah, she said that. And I kind of realized in that without her saying it, that there was a lot on the line here. So yeah, I checked myself into mental health hospital for three weeks and, and really had to sort myself out. And through doing so, learned a whole bunch of fantastic psychology tools and things that I now have with me and have equipped myself to be able to change how I think and change how I respond and take the pressure off and be more realistic with what I expect of myself and be present and be kind and all these great things that I now can do, still practice it, not perfect and I'm okay with it, you know, but it's it was literally a breaking point. For me, I treated that entire experience of how I got to that point sorry, coming out of it with, if I don't rapidly fix how I am acting, I will lose my family. I'll lose the very thing I'm trying so desperately to keep. And it wasn't from anyone's intention, certainly wasn't mine. But in doing that and doing that journey, I had to tell my work and had to ask for mental health leave. And I had to have all those conversations and all the judgment or fear and inability to do my job and all that stuff. And it was just learned a bucket load on the way and you certainly see people's not just understanding of of what you're going through if they've got lived experience or they don't but there's certainly i've got a lot of bravos and that takes courage from fellow colleagues to do that who actually said to me geez i wish i had the guts to do something like this i've never done that and i only had the guts because i didn't see any other alternative to be perfectly frank like i think if my stakes were lower and I was in a neurotypical family and couldn't cope with stress and anxiety, I probably wouldn't have said it, right? So I think I always try and encourage dads to not just be vulnerable, but to be honest with themselves. I think there's a lot that can be gained from 
sharing what's really going on, what's what it's really like, even though it's difficult conversations with your family and with your work and with all these uh, different people that you've got in your life. Because what's come of it now is so much learning for me, but also now I'm out of the job that didn't fully support me. They supported me, but on the surface, right? And when push came to shove, it wasn't seen as a judgment of, well, maybe I'm not going to be as good as my job now. Apparently, if you have a mental health problem, it's a cloud that follows you and it's yeah, attached to you as an identity. And really, it's not, you know, one in five people every year. But it's better than it was. But certainly, you know, I certainly saw the culture of what's accepted and what's not. And so now I'm in a place where I am. So everything's improved now, but it's you have to go through that as well. And I get, I certainly get from doing it why dad would go, it's easier if I shut up. It's easier if I don't say anything to my work, to my family. I can just pretend everything is going to be okay. But my challenge to every dad or wife or mum listening is it's probably not. It's just a question of when the breaking point comes, Lisa, to your earlier. It's, it's when is it going to come and how is it going to come? And you just hope that it comes in a way that's very safe and productive and you know, it's not too late. You know what I mean? Like that's not that the breaking point isn't a I'm out, I'm done and whatever it looks like. You want it to be in a way that it's a safe environment for people to talk about it. That's really tricky. It's really tricky. I feel glad that I can share it so openly, but I'm very mindful that every situation is very, very different and very tricky to navigate with lots of reasons why as a dad, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about my feelings or which fear of judgment pride or religion, all these things that go into it. But one thing I just want to, then I'll pause because I know I'm talking about one thing is just that what I've held held onto for the longest time, it was the way that I was able to accept the different path life was going to go down with Leo's diagnosis. And it's the fact, what's the best thing for him? And the best thing for him is for me to get my act together. The best thing for him is for me to get help for myself. The best thing for, like, so I've always, you know, it was the mentality I approached it with at the start. How can I get involved in therapies and understand? But it's the same kind of mentality that keeps me going and keeps me making the right choices because what's best for him is that I actually am at my best. And that means I have to be vulnerable and I have to share and I have to do this stuff and I have to work on myself. What's not best for him is if I ignore it and I pretend it's not there and then I just think, oh, she'll be right and I live life depressed and masked and in a job. You know, like that's not best for him. So, you know, if there's any kind of motivation to listeners, it would be that if you think about that and I think at the heart of it, all parents do, that's kind of how we're programmed as parents. You want the best. The best looks slightly different to what you thought it was before you get a diagnosis and before you have a life that's going to go down the path of disability. But it's still where all Leo's got. If I give up hope on myself or on him, then what's we don't like to put goals and limits. But I certainly am. I'm aware that I'm the light. He needs me to move forward and show him what's possible wherever that takes him. Not give up or put my head in the sand or think that that's too hard you know it's not what i thought it would be and limits and then it starts to become a pressing down on him it's got to be i'm trying to pave a pave whatever's possible and i need to be at my best so i think what's great about your podcast too and you're so open about it and i think there'd be a lot of dads out there they're like oh, shit that's how i feel and I think women tend to 
talk about their feelings a lot more than men. And obviously you've got a son who's a little bit different to the other boys in his classroom or in here. And you did say you had an older son as well, who I assume is, you know, mainstream. How is their relationship? What's Leo like at home? Yeah, look, Leo and Riley, Riley's my older son, he's 17. Leo and Riley have a great playful bond that you'd expect from any brothers. It's a bit of a rough and tumble Riley likes it on his terms. He'll want to engage with Leo when he feels like it and not any other time. Leo has the same mentality. He'll choose when he wants to engage with Riley. And But for the most of the time, it's a simple, quick exchange. It's playful. He steals his chips or something and, you know, drinks his Powerade and everyone's a bit of a brotherly banter. But it's a playful relationship. He certainly, you know, he loves him. I think there's a part of but he's a typical teenager. I think there's a huge part of Riley that he only lets us into every now and then about he certainly is becoming increasingly aware of what life's going to be as the years go on. Like he he hasn't articulated it perfectly, but he's certainly aware that, hmm, smart enough kid to realise, so what happens when you guys get a bit older? You know, what happens when depending on Leo's level of independence, you know, what kind of responsibility am I going to have to pick up at that point? So he certainly, I think it's a thought in his mind and he certainly has shared some frustrations when there have been challenging times that he certainly wishes it wasn't as challenging. I think he's lost some time. Like before Leo came along, it was a bit of the three amigos time and that was a thing, and you know, and I think he loves his brother and he loves the family, but there's a part of him that feels like he missed out on a few more years, a few more quality moments with the three of us that unfortunately, as a lot of parents could relate to, our world has to revolve around Leo for a lot of it. And that is unfortunate. It's the same for me, it's the same for my wife, and it's the same for Riley. Like we have to make some accommodations and more than what a, you know, any other neurotypical family would do. So I think there's a part of him that doesn't like that. And we are so mindful of that. We try and split up now i think we do a better job than we have done where we, we we stop trying to have things that all four of us are doing and all four of us that like we split up and i'll go do something with him or my wife will go do something with him and it's very rare we get all four of us 17 and a six-year-old with all like it's very rare we can get all of us to do something but we're actually okay with that because i think we're more important about how do we make sure he still feels like he gets our our time our attention so a little bit tricky. I'm sure in a couple of years it'll be fine because the age gap will then, you know, the maturity will set in and it'll be it'll level back out again. Depending out, like their relationship's okay. I think we just we're also probably a little bit we carry a little bit of guilt for how he feels about it all as well. Not that it's our fault, but it's circumstance. But yeah, I think there's a little bit of us going. Yeah, we understand. We totally get it. We probably would have liked the same kind of freedoms that you think you missed out on as well we probably feel the same way so yeah but I think that's fairly similar for most families with you know where you've got siblings involved as well he's learned a lot as well I think the other the great thing that he doesn't realize is what I've now realized about myself unbeknownst to him just by being around he has learned some incredible things that serve him in good stead I mean my god the kid has, has had to grow up quite quickly he was already an old wise head anyway and actually even seeing not just the challenges and not just the caring being a young carer at times it's actually more seeing seeing what i've had to go through how do we get through tough stuff like that 
the lesson is you don't just give up and walk away on relationships. You can work through them. You don't just, when you're going through tough things, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to break down in tears. Like I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm certainly not the dad that his son's never said he cried. It's probably the complete opposite. It's probably going, I can count on one hand the days that dad hasn't cried or been emotional. So it's, he's certainly seen some, I'm not saying it's certainly not a good role model because, but it's certainly seen what's, what is okay. Everything that a man can be. And a father can be and a, and a dad can be. It's not just what it looks like on the surface, on the postcards and on Instagram. It's actually this is the reality of what can happen behind closed doors and he's seen it firsthand. So I think I know it will help him later in life when those moments pop up and he can draw on that experience to go, actually, yeah, it's okay to be like this. It's okay. He's also a little bit worried. He's asked the question, would my kids be autistic? So he's certainly aware of, he feels like this is going to follow him around, which is, he's right. It will. Just I just don't know what level, but it will, yeah. What's a message that you would like to get out there for dads that are just finding out that their children, son or daughter, have a disability that you wish I, you knew when you started the journey? Yeah, it's a good question. Someone asked me this the other day. I I think I'd go back to... There's no point in not accepting it. Like I think the acceptance is key and I think you need to do, it's certainly fine to go through the emotions and go through the journey and go through the grief and all the different range. It's all normal, it's all valid, but get to a point of acceptance because if you don't, you're not doing what you could be doing for your kids and for your family. If you don't accept it, then you there's a barrier there to helping your family, your wife, your other kids, or whatever it might be. So I think find a way to accept it if it's nothing more than what's best for my son or my daughter in this scenario, me not accepting it doesn't help. It makes it about me. How do I make it about them? And I think when you do that, then you get to a point of my other advice would be, and it's kind of like my little mantra, which I've put in the podcast, but it's, I worked out why I did it because it's the key things that I wish I you know did from day one, which is be kind, be present and be brave. Like I think those are the things that I really try and just, quickly be mindful of. The presence is about you need to be, particularly autistic kids, nonverbal kids, like you need to be present to see communication cues, to see the joy they have in things, to see their challenges, to, to see the context in which they're trying to communicate. And most challenges Leo has is as a result of communication challenges he has, not because he's not a smart kid. He just can't get his message across and we can't receive it. So if I'm present, I've got a chance of getting the message, understanding it and avoiding behaviours and avoiding some of his challenges and him feeling like he can't, you know. So I think all of that about being present is so important and I think we spend far too much time, future, past and one thing on the phones, whatever, it's just be present and you'll see a lot more and you won't make it about yourself and you'll make it about and you'll enjoy it a lot more as well. You'll stop seeing the things that they aren't doing or they couldn't do and you'll start seeing things that they do. I, I still tell people, I mean, if I had that much joy from a salt packet that Leo has when he picks it up and can just stem on it for hours, I mean, my God, I wish my day started like that. I mean, he can just find so much joy in the simplest things. The wind, I mean, it's amazing. Just, you know, why don't I have that joy? You've got to be present to see it. I think you've got to be kind to yourself too, kind to yourself. We take the pressure off, take the pressure off. It's not about you. You are going to make mistakes, but it's not about you. So be kind to yourself and then be brave. And the braveness is like 
be willing, bear in respect to your mental health and what's going on, but be willing to put yourself in a situation where you are a bit uncomfortable. You might have to go out somewhere for the first time and you know it's, you don't know what's going to happen. And yes, there might be judgment, but if you don't do it, then we play small and our kids don't get to experience the world. So we we have to put ourselves in some situations where we know we're going to be tested and it's about finding the balance of that. It's not every weekend and every night. Absolutely not. I don't do that. I go through waves where I'm more confident and more brave and I can headspace can tackle it. And then I think, not this weekend. I'm not going to try. I'm going to play a bit safer because I need to mentally a bit more of a break. So, but I think, yeah, you've got it. It's a, they're discovering, they're changing every day. We have to do the same. So I think that would be, that would be my advice to anyone starting out. Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, also they're changing every day, particularly with kids with autism. You know, Louise comes up with new stems, as you said, like, you know, we go through waves, something lasts for a couple of years and then it stops and then something else starts. And, you know, at the moment he just is talking nonstop, particularly before dinner. It just is incessant, you know, and so I'm trying to get him to calm that down a little bit for me. <laughs> so we have to do <laughs> pinky promise not to talk. And he tries his hardest to keep his pinky promise, but it is, you have to be on your toes. You have to be responding. And if I'm not responding, then he talks even more. So I have to concentrate on him for a while. It's been so amazing to have you on, Rob. It's a great perspective looking at it in a different way. And I I really do hope lots of dads get on your podcast and listen in to some of the stories that you have and go to the therapy or go and pick up your kid one day so they can meet another dad because that's how our network started with our friends. We all met at school. So let's hope that more dads go and pick up so that they can meet people as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's just start in small amounts too. Like I think if you to anyone that's like, well, I'm not sure where to start. Like, okay, maybe, you know, the whole reason of, this medium podcast is it can be on the commute to work and it can be in your ears and it's low touch and no one knows you're listening and no one knows how much work you're doing on yourself like actually it's a really helpful and efficient way to get some feel like you're not alone and I think that's a good place to start you know like there is a community of other other dads that are doing it maybe you don't talk about it you know in the same way but just by listening and hearing it's comforting. There's a comfort there that goes, oh, I get it. I'm like that. And and that's just a good place to start. So you don't have to download and talk about how you feel about the diagnosis of the first time, you know, you can, you can talk about nothing. You can just talk about, you know, normal chat and but eventually it's just comforting to know that there. And I think the other thing to point out as well is this, again, it's dad's behave in a very different way. Like I've got a, a guy's chat. It is largely a chat about nothing and private jokes that have been going on for years even in dads in, in the disability space and the autistic space, it's also the same. It's not, we're not every day venting about, you know, therapy and how we feel. It's not, <laughs> if that's what people think they need to do, it's not. It's actually just aligning yourself with like-minded people that also get it so that on the day that you do need someone who gets it, that's when you reach out. But it's not daily barrage of how I'm feeling. That's also important to understand too, because I think it's it can be scary. It's like, well, I don't want to talk about it. You don't have to. It's just you've got a lot in common. So start there. But what else? You know, find out some other common ground and interests that you like and talk about that. So yeah. Well, thank you for today. We've loved talking to you. And 
for anyone out there, dad ability, and we'll put that on our socials, the podcast, so everyone can listen. But thank you so much for your time today. We really, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Rob. Uh, pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Lisa. Appreciate you having me on. And yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for being part of the Loop Me In community today and joining our conversation on raising children with disabilities. Join us for the next episode on some of your favourite platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you would like to support us, please recommend the Loop Me In podcast to your network of parents, carers and providers. If you would like us to cover a topic or invite a guest to chat, please email us at contact at loop-me-in.com.au or go to our website at loop-me-in.com.au. If you've got any feedback, please let us know so we can improve and cover issues you want. And of course, if anything in the podcast today has raised concerns for you, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 224636 or Lifeline on 131114.